Screw it, screw it, we're just going to talk about Spider-Man. Welcome to Screw It, we're just going to talk about Spider-Man. I'm your host, Kevin Hines, along with your other host, Will Hines. That's right, and I am I am Will Hines. Yeah, I was going to do your part today. Oh, the whole thing? Yeah, I was going to just kind of do both you and me. Hey, why not? That's a nice... We haven't tried that before. Yeah, I thought you seemed... Uh, like tired today. So I thought maybe I would just take it no, off no. your hands and I would just kind of do both. No, parts. You're, you're, First of all, I, like right. this issue. I hated it. What you hated it. <laughs> Wait, like a really strong you emotion to have. I hate the human torch. First of all, I don't like the idea of someone catching on fire. I think it's wrong. What do you mean wrong? <laughs> How am I doing so far? <laughs> you're not representing my opinion. I dressed up as the human torch for like two Halloweens yeah, in a row. I don't know. Something's changed. <laughs> boy, oh boy. Um, uh, this is the podcast where we talk about the original uh, Spider-Man comics that were done by his original creators, Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. Yeah, that's right. And um, these are the ones that were published in the 60s. They created the character. We love these issues. This episode, we're going over Amazing Spider-Man issue number 21. Yeah, that's right. Um, this was released in February of 1965. It's issue 21. Uh, and it, the cover says February 21, which is my birthday. So it feels like this issue is made for me. Um, I think that's a fair thing yeah, to say. It's a pretty yeah. mediocre issue. <laughs> so thank you, Steve <laughs> Ditko and Stan Lee for phoning yeah. it in. Yeah, this one's a little, the, the 20s, as I recall, are a little bit of a dip for these Spider-Man issues. I mean, there's a couple good ones. Yeah, well, this one definitely with, uh, is. Uh, Green Goblin comes back, and there's a good Mysterio issue that's pretty good, but they're not as good as what we just went through, and this one is a good example of that. Yeah, this one's a, this one's weird. Um, the, the villain of this issue is the Beetle, who I'd never heard of, but I guess he's an established villain at this point. Yeah, you've never heard of the Beetle? I, I don't remember, no. I, I, the Beetle doesn't... Well, you probably haven't... This is the old design of the Beetle. His design gets updated into a much better, cooler-looking design. Uh, I don't think Jack Kirby even designed this Beetle. I think this was designed... He originated in a Strange Tales issue, so he was probably designed okay. by the artist on that, which I think was Carl Burgos, who was the, like, the original Human okay. Torch or artist. Yeah. From the 40s. And, uh, it's, just a, it's a bad design. Uh, he gets updated to more yeah. of a, uh, like a V helmet. Um, I don't know mm. how to describe it better than that. And he's like wings actually move and he looks much cooler. And the beetle, uh, we're just going to go into what's going on in comics today segment. The beetle eventually becomes okay. a member. First of all, of the, uh, I think he becomes a member of like the recurring, like sinister, not sinister, uh, the deadly foes of Spider-Man. And okay. uh, eventually be, joins the Thunderbolts. He's an ah, original Thunderbolt. Uh, and the Thunderbolts was a series created by Kurt Busiek and Mark Bagley that was uh, about Baron Zemo forming a team of supervillains to pose as superheroes. And they did this in an era when, like, the Avengers had kind of didn't exist for hilarious reasons that they were in a pocket dimension. Uh, the Fantastic Four and the Avengers were gone, so the Thunderbolts sort of popped up as the new heroes in a world that only had okay. mutants and hulks and Spider-Man, so there was no, like, real heroes. And the Thunderbolts showed up and, like, we'll be heroes, and everyone loved them, but it was secretly Baron Zemo right. and a bunch of other supervillains, including the Beetle, who went under the name Mach 1. Uh, and then uh, at the end of the first 12 issues, uh, spoiler alert, a lot of the heroes in the Thunderbolts were like, we'd rather be heroes. 
A lot of the villains. Yeah, a lot of the characters in Thunderbolts decided they'd rather actually be heroes than villains posing as heroes. So they kind of stood up to Baron Zemo and said, nope, we're going to stay, uh, we're going to keep doing the hero thing. And Hawkeye became their leader for a while. And this guy who was the Beatle is still, um, he, I think he calls himself Mach 7 or something now. He keeps, every time he updates his armor, he adds a number to his name. So he's like Mach 7 or Mach Just like a software yes, company. Yeah, exactly. But he's still in that hero, guys. He's never gone back to being a villain ever again. So you're telling me. And there's me a new Beetle. The character a new in this Beetle, issue. Okay. Uh, who's a female. Okay. And I believe is like the son of either either uh, Hammerhead or like Tombstone or, or the daughter of Hammerhead or Tombstone or something like that. Related to a crime boss in the Marvel and the Spider-Man comic universe. But so there's a new Beetle. But this Beetle becomes a hero. Okay. Um, there's some beetle named Janice Lincoln, who is the daughter of that's Tombstone. That's it. That's the one. Okay. There's another beetle called Ly- uh, Lila Davis, who is the widow of minor supervillain Ringer. I don't know about that beetle. And then this beetle that we're going to read about in this issue is Abner that's Jenkins, right. the that's original right. beetle. And he becomes a hero. So you're telling me this – Yeah. But I can't believe this is the guy who sticks around for 30 years. Like this character does not seem that. Well, you have to think to like when Kurt Busiek made the Thunderbolts, he wasn't picking like the greatest villains because his long term plan was to turn them into heroes or, or have them be guys who wanted to be heroes. And you can't take huge villains off the table. Like the other characters were like screaming Mimi was one of the Thunderbolts. <laughs> um, right. Uh, uh, I forget what. Um, I forget what the the, the size changing guy's name was. I think his name was Atlas in the comic, but it was something <laughs> else before that. Like the Fixer was one of them. Uh, this is in the this is in the yeah 90s, late nineties, right? I think, because this was after Untold Tales, uh, and it was just it was basically yeah. right before a really great era of Marvel comics. Because then Kurpusek took over the Avengers, which I thought he did a great run on that. Um, uh, and I think it was, it was a good era for, at least for me, like a lot of the comics were, were in a good shape. Spider-Man actually was weaker back then, but a lot of the other comics I was really enjoying at that point in the Marvel universe. And I, and I wasn't enjoying it Crazy. much before that. Yeah. It's weird. Like this, this era, the era you're talking about of Marvel, the nineties was like, I just wasn't reading them really. They, um, and so all kinds of stuff went down that I just, I just, uh, I, I never really, I would only hear about from you every, every like now and then. It minute, wasn't you know? great. I think the X-Men were still probably popular, but they also felt like a mess at that time to me. DC Comics, I think was in a really great state at that point. Um, that's when a lot of my favorite DC Comics were happening. DC Comics felt like the Marvel Comics of the 80s to me. Um, like uh-huh. written modernly, but like continuity, supporting casts, uh, nothing Uh, obnoxious not too many crossovers or if they were they were like small little crossovers uh like the bat universe was really great nightwing was becoming his own character the flash was really good at that point uh it was just a lot a lot lot of dc comics i really enjoyed at that point and um uh marvel was bad uh up until roughly around the thunderbolts era then marvel started getting it together again According to Wikipedia, Thunderbolts started in 1997. And also Thunderbolts issue one was a weird surprise. They show up in a, they showed up in an issue of the Hulk. They showed up somewhere else, like in a anthology series. And they were just portrayed as heroes. These new heroes being like, Hey, Marvel's made this new team of heroes. Enjoy. And there was nothing to it. And there was no, 
the internet was around, but it wasn't like there were lots of comic book websites. It just, this wasn't spoiled. And I bought the first issue purely because I liked the writer because of untold tales of Spider-Man. Uh, yeah. I was like, well, I'm going to get this, even though I was sort of bored by their appearances elsewhere. I was like, these characters mm-hmm. feel really bland, but I'm going to trust them. I'm going to get the first issue. And I was reading the first issue and in my mind being like, yeah, it's pretty good. It's like kind of playing up like, like I was seeing a little bit of his sort of storytelling side. Like we were seeing the people who were, they were following a lot of the people who were excited about these, these characters more than the characters themselves. It's like, oh, maybe it'll be sort of like right. an Astro city take in the Marvel universe. It could be good. Cause he had done Marvels at this point. Right. And I was like, I bet it'll be good. And then like on the last page, it's revealed that it's Baron Zemo and a bunch of villains. And I was like, Oh, I'm in, this is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you really, and then really it was really it. fun from there on. Like you knew you were in on it. But I, I can't believe they got away with like a surprise like that. It would not sell now yeah. like, unless you knew right away that it was villains. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that's the Beatle um, who we're going to talk about uh, in his lame version uh, today. Okay. Um, so let's, yeah, let's talk the about cover, the cover right? real quick. It's an okay cover. It is an okay cover. I agree. We got the torch and, the, and Spider-Man and a little bit of the Beatle sort of almost off screen. Yeah. It's more focusing on the torch and Spider-Man fighting. Yeah. which is a classic staple now already of the Spider-Man comics and the Beatles yeah. sort of lurking there. It does represent what you're going to get in this comic and it looks good. I wish there was a yeah. background. I'm a big fan of the backgrounds from Steve Ditko. That's right. Uh, Spider-Man looks cool uh, though. It's, yeah. It's a nice, simple, clear picture. I think it is on the good side of, okay. Yeah. I mean, if I saw this, I'd be like human torches in it. I'm buying it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's doing its job. Yeah. Um, next segment. Kevin, uh, what's, what do we say? Podcast news? Podcast news, there is Spider-Man none. news. There is none. None. Uh, uh, what's going on in the Marvel Universe right now? February 1965, nothing. Okay, uh, great. What's going on in uh, comics today? I sort of already did that. Okay. So I think we've done all the between cover and issue segments already. We're blowing through segments today. This is yeah. great. A lot of our segments uh, are just checking a box. Did we mention yeah. podcast news? We did. There is none? Great. Moving on. Yep. Uh, all right, let's get into the issue. Yeah. Uh, Ken, what, what did you think of this issue overall? I thought it was fine. Uh, mm-hmm. The Beetle isn't that great a character. The Torch Spider-Man stuff was fine. Uh, I don't like the Human Torch's girlfriend, and she's a big part of this storyline. Um, it's a Betty's only part is to be jealous. Uh, the women don't come off good in this comic, and Stan Lee uh, is to blame for that. Yeah. Yeah, I, felt, I kind of felt the same way, like... It's actually kind of a cool idea. This is sort of more of a romance, uh, almost like a Shakespearean, uh, like ironic thing where secret identities of one relationship have crushes of these superhero versions of other ones and stuff like that. And it, I think it is kind of a cool idea, but uh, in the details, Stanley's dialogue for the women and their characterization is pretty lame. Yep. And so it, it doesn't really hold up. It centers well. so much on the Human Torch's girlfriend, Dory, who hates that he's the Human Torch. And that is just a terrible character trait to give to your hero's girlfriend. Yeah, it's supposed to set up a conflict where he can't be the Human Torch around her. It just which, makes you not like her. Yeah, I mean, I can see where it seems like a good idea from one angle. It's like, well, that's kind of ironic. Um, but on the other hand, it just makes her like a nag and it sort of plays into a middle-aged comic writer's idea that these women got to learn to shut up. Yeah, they don't let us have fun. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so it, it doesn't it doesn't age too if well. Someone's going to have a crush on the Human Torch. Uh, they would like that he was the Human Torch because that's who he is. That's all he is. He yeah. likes to race cars Mick, and fight supervillains. If you don't like those two things, you don't like him. Yeah. Mick Jagger, I've had it with you hanging around with those Rolling Stones. Yeah. It basically is that. It's like, I wish you didn't talk about music all the time, Mick. Yeah. I've had it with you doing cool stuff in front of crowds. I want you home being a good little husband. Yeah. Uh, I just don't understand how that relationship started. It's it's primarily in the Strange Tales series that it exists, and I find it yeah. uh, annoying, and it's a central point to this issue, and it hurts it overall. Uh, the, I've, so I, I'm not familiar with the Beatle. I, did, I certainly didn't know that he had this long story ahead of him. Um, so when I read this issue, I was like, the Beatle is... Uh, <laughs> to me kind of hilariously lame uh i i sort of almost enjoyed because he's to, he's just got a strong armored suit right yeah he's a low rent iron man yeah and he's so cocky he's like one of the cockiest heroes we run across and i mean at least the vulture could fly but oh this guy can fly too this guy can, can fly, fly slow he can fly slow yeah <laughs> yeah it's even pointed out how slow he flies. I don't know. The, did, this you, issue did you look up, up uh, what his new armor looks like? Yes. It looks better. It does look better. I don't know who designed his new armor, but uh, it's a good read. Then I looked, up, I looked up the Wikipedia page for Thunderbolts, and it's like, it's huge. I think, I think the Wikipedia page for Thunderbolts is longer than the one for the U.S. Constitution. <laughs> I mean, that series has gone through some ups and downs. It's uh, had a lot of twists and turns. It's a very well documented uh, team. Um, okay, let's let's get into it, Kevin. Um, yeah. So splash page, we got it's a the splash page is a preview of what we're going to see later in the issue, and it's Spidey clocking the Beatles. It's a cool Steve Ditko drawing. They're in somebody's house. There's knocked over vases and a broken window. Yeah, I like it better than the cover. There's no torch in it though, so I guess no I can torch. see why it didn't. doesn't. Even though his name is bigger than anyone else's name on this splash page. Um, page one of this comic, we see the Beatle getting out of prison. Yeah. Uh, he's gotten out of prison. He's done his time. They've given him back his Beatle armor. <laughs> they had to, so he funny. says. They had to give me yeah. back my Beatle equipment. There's no law against a man owning an armored costume. <laughs> so here's the thing. We open with this guy leaving prison. It's the Beatle. He's holding these two big sacks of his supervillain costume. But what I also love is this dude's sunglasses are rad. He's got these like <laughs> very cool like mid like mid sixties. He looks like I don't know Max Headroom or like or like a, a punk rocker from The Dark Knight Returns or like some post apocalyptic Mad Max dude. Just in terms of his sunglasses, yeah, uh, yeah, he does have a cool look. Later on, he. When he's wearing, when he's got like his hat and stuff, he looks a little slimier. Here he kind of looks cool. He looks, he looks cool. I, a real Ocean's Eleven looks, feel going on. Right, right, like an old Rat Pack feel. When he, yeah, later in the in the issue, we'll see him like in a suit and a fedora, and he looks like just a clear slime ball operator that would like try to borrow twenty bucks from you to play it on the ponies or something like that. Yeah, and I and I and I kind of love it. I love I love the mid sixties operator mooch uh kind of scumbag i think that's a really funny character and look and the beatles secret identity uh that's what he looks like yeah uh anyway he suits up immediately and yeah. flies off yeah and the human torch reads about it in the newspaper we don't know what newspaper but i'm gonna assume the bugle 
Sure. Page 40 after a bunch of Spider-Man screeds. Uh, he sees yeah. that the beetle has been released from prison. He immediately flames on and flies away, upsetting his girlfriend. Uh, yeah, because he knows the beetle's bad news. He's got to go get him. Yep. Uh, meanwhile, uh, meanwhile, Peter Parker's doing homework and his back is stiff. So he's going to loosen up by getting into costume and swinging around Manhattan. Yep. It sure beats doing push-ups all hollow, he says. Yeah. Normal phrase that normal human beings That's say. Right. Beats push-ups all hollow. Yeah, yeah we say that. That's why I say when Peter goes for a swing, he's in Forest Hills. He's got to swing all the way to Manhattan. That's like 35 minutes. I mean, sure. In your world, in Stan Lee's, in Stan Lee's New York, it takes him like five minutes, I think. Yeah. I'm going to say this guy commutes into Manhattan pretty fast. Maybe think about getting an apartment there. I'm just pointing. He does that. eventually. Okay. He does eventually. Uh, all right, good. But not, not, um, so, not during the, the tenure of our podcast. That's right. Post Ditko, he does that. Um, okay, so Spidey's swinging around Manhattan, and uh, the New Yorkers, um, they don't like him. They're scared of him. Yeah, they see him running around. They run. These are the same people yeah. who watched and stood still as a Sandman wrecked a street chasing Spider-Man so they could laugh at Spider-Man. But they see Spider-Man just climbing a building, and they run away full speed. Yeah, the crowds of New York in the in the pages of Spider-Man comics, they're they're really like a volatile bunch. <laughs> they love Spider-Man sometimes. They're scared of him sometimes. Sort of whatever serves the story. And in this issue, because we're going to be comparing Spider-Man to the Human Torch, they they are mistrustful and kind of nervous around. Yeah, and as much as I knock this issue, I do love the comparison of Spider-Man to the Human Torch. I think that is a fun angle for stories. Watching how much they love the Human Torch and hate Spider-Man, I think that's always fun. Yeah. But we see uh, them running from Spider-Man and then immediately they start cheering because they see the Human Torch fly by. So the Human Torch does some tricks for them just to entertain them. And they love it. They eat it up. Yeah. I think part of the way that this gets justified at some point is that like they know who the Human Torch is. They know his secret identity. They know his whole story. People don't know who Spider-Man is because he's wearing a mask. Yeah. Right? Isn't that isn't that part of the reason why comic book authors tell us the crowds love Johnny Storm and they, they're scared of Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh, and even later on when we get some characters that are, are masked that are liked, they're generally on the Avengers. So they're sort of like associated with Captain America and Spider-Man yeah. sort of this lone wolf character. He's also got a full face mask. You like, you don't even see his skin. Yeah. I would just say it's weird that they, Spider-Man is a, still a, a looks human yeah, um, and, and then the Human Torch bursts into flame, but people are really comfortable around him. Yeah, I mean he is royalty. Yeah, I'm just he's, saying a guy on fire would be kind of scary, even if yeah, but not not if he's a Kennedy, I suppose. Yeah. Um. Okay, so the Torch and Spidey are flying around Manhattan, and the Beetle is trailing the Torch, and the Torch doesn't know it. It's so easy to find people in New York City. Yeah. For everyone. Like Spider-Man, Human Torch, and a Beetle are all on the same block, I guess. Yep. Um, it's a it's a small world after all in Marvel's New York. But yeah, the Beetle follows the Human Torch, Spider-Man. There's a great panel on page four where the Human Torch is flying in one direction. Spider-Man's on a billboard on the other direction. And the Beetle's flying between them and nobody sees each other. Like, yeah, the Beetle sees the Torch, but otherwise no one sees each other. Um. So the torch goes back home to Dory and boy, oh boy, she's had it. Yep. She's mad at him for flying off. I mean, he was rude. They were in the middle of a date and he flew away. That part I get. The fact that she doesn't like him ever being a superhero, I don't get. Uh, There's one part where the human torch looks right at the audience. 
Oh yeah, right. Uh, so, th- so they have a fight, and Dory makes a deal with the torch. He has to spend twenty four hours not being a superhero. He can't flame on for twenty four hours. That's sort of like the story point of this issue to make yeah. it up to her to prove that he doesn't need to do it. She thinks he looks for excuses to do it. He's going to prove he doesn't. And so he agrees for 24 hours he won't be the Human Torch. And he looks at the audience. He's looking right out of the comic book panel. And he says, it's a deal, love of my life. But what did they feed you when you were a baby? Nails? <laughs> yeah. It looks to us for like applause and cheers. Yeah. Get you a load told, of this. Older torch. Yeah. Get a load of this dame. Um, okay. So the beetle is tracking the torch. And he's going to – he makes a plan that he's going to kidnap his girlfriend uh, as a way of – Beating the torch, I guess. Yeah, I guess uh, if he gets his girlfriend, he's got leverage. I hear sirens in the background, Kevin. Yeah, they stopped, but they'll start again. I'm in New York City. Are they after you? No, they're after Spider-Man. They saw him swinging yeah. around. Yeah, he's uh, he's bad news. Um, okay, so the Beatles planning on kidnapping the torch's girlfriend right as he promises to not be the human torch. Uh, Spidey, yeah. meanwhile, is fed up with people not liking him, and he kind of swings away. Yeah, he even now, offers to help some people carry a heavy package, and they they get scared of him. So he goes back into Peter Parker, guys, because it's just not worth it. Yeah, the very next day, he's as Peter Parker. He's walking around Manhattan, and just coincidentally, he runs into the Torch's girlfriend, Dory Evans. As Peter That's Parker, right. he runs yeah. into her. As she's knocked over by some rude kids and drops a bunch of her packages – and Peter, like, helps her pick up her things, and she's charmed by how polite he is. Yeah, and he didn't burst into flames. That's one of the things she likes about guys. And he failed to burst into flame. She dropped her wallet. He finds it, and he returns it to her, and she fixes him a glass of Coke. And I'll tell you something, Kevin. She's taking a shine to old Petey Parker. Yeah, I mean, Peter Parker, you know, he's more confident than he was back in Amazing Fantasy 15. He's come out of his shell. He's still dressing in his all-blue suit, but otherwise, this guy's a real charmer. Girls like this dude. I, girls are falling all over him at this point. We got Liz Allen's she, got a crush on him, Betty Brandt. She seems to live on her own, so she feels older than him. Yeah, he's in high school, and she's got her own place. She must be at college age. Yeah. So, I mean, he's close. Um, I mean, she must she must be 20. Yeah, and he's 17 or something. Yeah. Still, I don't know. I'm impressed. Yeah. Um, and the torch sees Peter come out of the house, and he is... A little mad about it, a little jealous. Sure. And um, he, yeah, he walks in, he goes, hey, who's this guy that just left your place? She's like, and she's working it. She's trying to get him like kind of jealous of Peter Parker. Yeah. And he, he takes the bait. Human Torch is mad about this Peter Parker guy. Um, And uh, meanwhile, outside the house, the Beatle, in his secret identity, has been spying on Dory Evans. And yeah, he's he's in full con artist uh, guise now. Sunglasses, smoking, flicks a cigarette. Yeah, real, I love real, this. real scumbag. This is the, this is the, I want him to be like this all the time. You don't want him in the armor. I, I don't like the armor. I like I like his sort of slick con man look. That's how I like him. Um, okay, so Peter Parker. Is on a date with Betty Brant. He's walking around Manhattan. They are window shopping. And the human torch just walks right up to him to, like, basically tell him to back off. Yeah. Gets mad at Peter for making time with Dory. Of course, Betty hears this. And Betty's always ready to believe that Peter's got multiple girlfriends. And is, is starts sobbing and runs off. 
Yeah, we've moved into full weak Betty Brant phase where she's just jealous instantly. She, Although I'll say she, she's dating Ned Leeds. You know, like a cheater spots a cheater, and uh, I, and a player spots a player, and and Betty is Betty is got dating multiple dudes. You yeah, know what I'm saying? But that was like, after so, Peter was already seen with Liz. She can't handle it. It's like a third it. woman that Peter's with. She crumbles instantly too. She's like starts sobbing instantly. It's Stanley. His image of women is just they are so weak. The minute any pressures on their relationship, they break down. Yeah. Um, but here's kind of a fun thing. Peter sees that Betty is crying. He he feels angry, like he didn't ask for any of this, and he just lays into the torch. Yeah, screams at him and. Uh, out here on the street, also Flash Thompson and his cronies are walking around. They see this. Uh, his cronies are real impressed by Peter standing up to a superhero. I mean, they're uh, more than impressed. They're baffled. They don't know what to do with this information. One of them looks at Peter yelling at the Hema Torch, one of Flash Thompson's little toadies. And he's like, hey, maybe he's not really a panty waist. Like he doesn't even know how to calculate this information. <laughs> he won't say he's like cool or tough, but he's maybe not a panty waist. Yeah. I thought for sure he was a panty um, waste. Now I don't know. But Flash sets him straight. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Flash says, uh, don't let him fool you. He knows the Torch would never fight with him. A superpowered member of the FF can't go around beating up nobodies. And Flash knows and the because the, the thing almost beat him up once. Yeah, that's right. The thing threatened <laughs> to beat up Flash Thompson once, but didn't because he's a nobody. Yeah. Um, and the Torch realizes he's right. Here he's come out to set Peter Parker straight, but now when the dude gets mad back, he can't do anything. Yeah. So he just sort of storms off angry. Uh, Peter goes to talk to Betty, but she doesn't buy it. Uh, she just wants to go home. She doesn't want to hang out with this guy who's dating multiple, multiple women. And Peter crushes some granite rocks, uh, bricks rather, um, because he's mad. feel a little bad for him. Yeah. He just, uh, he helped Dory Evans. Uh, he returned a wall to Dory Evans, and now he's got the Human Torch mad at him and his girlfriend mad at him, and he really didn't do yeah, anything. Yeah, he didn't do anything here. Peter has been a good guy in this issue. Um, he's not plagiarizing any news articles. Uh, he's not bursting in any parties to make the Human Torch mad. He's yeah. not uh, uh, going to hang out with Liz Allen to cover his secret identity right in front of Betty. Now, here's the thing. Spidey... So Peter Parker gets into a Spidey costume. Is his plan to go meet Dory Evans as Spider-Man and impress yeah, her? Yeah, he, sort he of assumes as re as revenge? if Dory is so quick to fall in love with Peter Parker, well, she's going to really love Spider-Man, his better side. He thinks Spider-Man's cooler than Peter Parker. He doesn't know Dory hates superheroes. His right. plan is bad. Well, he doesn't know it, though. I think it makes yeah. sense. He's like, well, I mean, she's dating Mick Jagger. I'll get on my electric guitar and go yeah. see her. Jagger doesn't have a guitar, but we see the metaphor. Um so, okay, Spider-Man shows up at Dory Evans' house. Unfortunately, the Beatle is also Because the Beatle is getting ready to, to kidnap Dory. And so Spider-Man and the Beatle just start fighting right away. They know what to do. Yeah, Spidey inadvertently is protecting Dory Evans again, even though he doesn't he doesn't know it. So we get into a little Beatle versus Spider-Man. Yeah, fight. Beatle tosses him around, throws him at a tree, uses his weird suction cup fingers to grab him. Yeah. Um, and because his armor is thick and Spidey doesn't, doesn't know this guy, doesn't really know what he's dealing yeah. with. The Beatles kind of holding his own. Yeah. This isn't Dr. Doom. This isn't a supervillain everyone's heard of. This is Spider-Man. As far as Spider-Man knows, this is this guy's first time out. Uh, because the armor is thick, whenever Spidey punches the Beetle, there's some good sound effects. Oh yeah. There's a lot of fun sound effects in this issue. There's clanks and pongs and thunks. That pong. I really like pong. 
Um, so here's we get into the comedy of the issue. Dory Evans sees these two guys fighting in her lawn. She calls her superhero boyfriend to rescue her, and he thinks it's a joke to get him to to trick him into turning into the torch before the 24 hours is up. Yeah, he doesn't fall for it, though. Uh, he says, the big bad wolf is trying to blow my door down. See you around. <laughs> and hangs up on her. And you know what? Dory gets what's coming to her, I say. Yeah, she doesn't want her superhero boyfriend to flame on. Then she can't ask him to flame on. Yep, that's right. So now uh, the uh, Spidey and the Beetle, the fight has crashed through a window and into Dory's living room, and they're fighting in her house. Yeah, there is furniture just being tossed around in this fight. Sofas and ottomans just going crazy. And, um, yeah, Ditko likes to have a lot of weird things around. And since we don't have a circus or an art museum, Dory Evans' well-decorated living room is going to have to do. Yeah. Uh, They're just fighting and fighting. Uh, Human Torch decides to go see Dory. to prove that he hasn't flamed on all day. Yeah, so he's heading here, not knowing what he's getting into. Um, the Beatle successfully grabs Dory Evans and flies off with her. And Spider-Man takes chase. Yep. And this leads to another misunderstanding, because when the Human Torch gets there and sees the place wrecked, he sees Spider-Man coming out of the house and assumes Spider-Man must be involved. And he sees there's webbing dripping around the... Uh, Dory's living room. Yep. He doesn't understand. He doesn't, he doesn't know why Spider-Man would do this, but he has enough evidence to immediately attack Spider-Man without asking any questions. Right. So Johnny Storm sees that there's been a real scuffle, realizes that she wasn't kidding, immediately flames on, flies after Spider-Man, doesn't know the Beatles involved and just starts attacking Spider-Man. Yeah. Spider-Man luckily for some reason has asbestos covered webs that he uses on the but, torch. He says, like, yeah. here's an asbestos web ball to chew on for a while. I don't know why he was toting that around. Yeah, we've never heard of that type of webbing. We've never been told that there's, like, multiple kinds of webbing that he has. But uh, conveniently, he's just got asbestos webbing here. I think that's just Stan Lee explaining why the webbing isn't immediately burned in that panel. And Steve Ditko yeah. is probably like, who cares, dude? Yeah. <laughs> so we have, a, we have a Spidey torch fight that looks really cool. Yeah, it's real fun. Panels get bigger and bigger as it goes on. Um, yeah. I think page 15 is really great looking. It's only oh, three yeah. panels, but it's really cool images. It's awesome. It's, it is awesome. The Spidey versus Torch stuff looks super good. Um, so Torch is so mad, Spidey can't even talk to him. So Spidey's only There's something fun to- about their fights, I think. Uh, sorry to interrupt you, but like uh, because Spider-Man sort of is always like flailing around, limbs going everywhere, webbing, shooting, like there's lots of like just – uh, the directions are all over the place. And then the torches flames also do that same sort of thing where they're ringing around and it Ditko kind of goes crazy with it and has a lot of fun drawing those two together. Yeah. Ditko usually finds whoever Spider-Man's fighting, whether it's a misunderstood superhero or a 70 year old man with wings, um, usually finds ways to make the villain very fluid. They're usually very flowing. Like they're not very boxy. You know, you got Dr. Octopus's arms, Mysterious smoke, vulture kind of swooping around. You got the enforcers with their lassos and karate chops. Like the villains are usually, yeah, they're fluid. And so the torches' flames are kind of fluid. Yeah. Uh, so they're fighting. They're fighting. So Spidey, Torch won't even listen to Spidey. So Spidey's only chance is to get the fight, to get Torch to see the beetle. So he's, right. he's Spidey's trying to follow the beetle both to protect Dory and to get the Torch to see him. Yeah. Then we have a little, we cut away for a moment to J. Jonah Jameson at the bugle. Talking to Betty Brandt, his secretary, and Peter's sometimes girlfriend. 
Yeah. And Jonah's upset because Peter hasn't brought any of his usual or rather his unusual crime photos in days. Yes. Uh, And he asks her what's going on because she's his girlfriend. Uh, She's looking at a picture of him and she's thinking, yeah, you know, maybe I was too harsh on him and maybe there's an explanation. I'll call him and try to see what the story was. Yeah. And then uh, Aunt May answers and says, I don't know where he is. So Betty is sure he's with a girl and cheating on her and she hangs up crying. And she goes right back to being sad. So, I mean, this guy has jobs. He goes to school. Like, he's got a full life. But if he's not home, he must be on a date. I I think Aunt May knows what's up here. Because Aunt May is trying to get Peter to date Mary Jane Watson next door. So I think she's always ready to, like, she's trying to break them up. She's always trying to scare Betty off. She's, like, putting lipstick on Peter's collar. Yeah. Uh, and she, and she's just like, oh, I, last time I saw Peter, he was with a bunch of his female friends. Just, May knows, knows what she's doing. May was yeah. king of the swing dances in the late thirties, queen of the yeah. swing, swing dances. I mean, and Mary Jane is a catch. Aunt May is not wrong. Yeah. Aunt May knows what's best for Peter. Um, okay. So back to the fight. Spider-Man now gets the human torch in view of the beetle and torch sees the beetle. And now he knows who the real bad guy is. Right. So now Spider-Man and the Torch are teaming up to fight the Beetle, which is bad news for Abner. Bad news for the Beetle. I think he's outmatched by either of these guys, certainly together. So yeah. they, they head into some high-ceilinged office complex. I don't know it's, what a condemned, it's a condemned building. Okay. Um, luckily, so that they can rip apart walls and throw them at each other. So the beetle is like tearing apart walls and ceilings and throwing them and torches melting stuff and Spidey is sticking and going web crazy and it's a pretty good fight. Yeah, they're leaping around. There's also this is fun thing where Spider-Man and Human Torch team up. There's a couple moments where like they just get in each other's way. They're not used to fighting with each other. And so like one of them is about to catch the beetle and Spider-Man will get in the way of the torch or vice versa. Uh, And there's even a point on page, I think, 18 where the torch thinks Spider-Man has come between us again. Is he trying to help me or protect the beetle? They yeah. just, this happens a lot. Even when we last saw them fight the Sandman, they got tangled up in webbing. They yeah. Just get each other's way. So, um, but they do end up finally getting the beetle. They both, they kind of, it was almost like a comedy moment or like a 1960s Batman TV show moment where the beetles like flying through a room and the torch comes bursting in through one wall and Spidey comes swinging in through a window on the other side and they both sort of hit him from opposite sides at once. Yeah. And, uh, they take him down, they web him up, they put him in a fire cage and he's done. It's taken care of in two panels. And Dory hugs her hero boyfriend, glad that he has saved her. And also tells the human torch, don't forget to capture Spider-Man. I believe he's in league with the beetle. Yes, Spider-Man, you know, that takes the shine off of Dory Evans for Spider-Man. The torch also says his response to the accusation is, well, we've no proof, Dory. And he did help me catch him. Yeah. (laughs) Spider-Man just caught the beetle. I think he maybe isn't in league with the beetle. I wish he'd said... He might be in league with the Beetle, but I don't think he's a panty waste. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm starting to think he's not a panty waste. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, uh, Dory accuses Spider-Man, and it shatters Spider-Man. Yeah, he goes into a little internal spiral thinking of all the people who are mad at him. Betty Brant's mad at him. People on the street are scared of him. Here's Dory pointing a finger at him, accusing him. Meanwhile, the torch is going to head off to a happy ending, like always. Yeah. Uh, and Spider-Man gets mad and just takes off. Just He's tired of it. It, the, it ends with a classic Spider-Man head down, looking into the sunset, sad. 
uh, panel, he's just yeah. broken. He's broken. He's like, I can't win. We got I think emo. I'm a hero, but everyone hates me. You have a little emo Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, and I, I do, I kind of like the emo Spider-Man. That's very like teenager to kind of mope off and storm off when things aren't going your way. And I, I relate to it. And I think it's a cool thing that happens in Spider-Man comics. I think it's a big part of the DNA. So many of these issues end with Spider-Man just sad being like, yeah, it, nothing works. Yeah. So that's our issue. Yeah. There's some good parts in here and I don't think it's ever bad. It's just it, it, at worst, it's fine. Uh, the women are written terribly, but uh, otherwise it's fine. And then there's some good yeah. moments. I, like this last page, I think is really good. Uh, this is the kind of thing that just comic book writers would get a lot better at handling later. Like I think it was kind of a cool idea to sort of involve the hero's personal lives more, but Stanley yeah. just doesn't have the chops for that kind of thing. It's just, just, can't it's just write not women. Yeah, um, I, I you know just putting my editor hat on, which I don't deserve to do, but I think you could have like one of the female characters sort of being that type of person, sort of like a 1960s shrew basically. <laughs> but if, it, but if they're all like that, it starts to, it starts to stand out in my, yeah. in this man's opinion. They'd um, all be better though. If they weren't like, imagine if Dory wasn't mad at him for being the human torch, but sort of was challenging him out of just like fun. You know, sort of being like, I don't mind that you're the human torch, but it feels like you'd flame on at any excuse. Yeah. It, rather than like, I wish you never flamed on. Seems weird. Yeah. And yeah. if Betty didn't break into tears uh, at, at any thought that Peter wasn't, you know, it could possibly be with somebody else. You know, m- m- much earlier on, we saw that Betty's brother, who the, the late... Bennett Brandt, I think his name was. Yeah, I think his name was Bennett. Um, you know, was involved in crime. And so she had this troubled past and that made it very emotionally difficult for her to like Spider-Man. I thought that was like the coolest. Like that was like like a really fun story that makes her sort of like not like Spider-Man in an interesting way. But they kind of just dropped that. And also, I mean, like the one moment where she you know, went to the Spider-Man event and saw Peter Parker with Liz Allen, even though Spider-Man, Peter didn't tell her she was going like that moment, at least made it seem like, Oh, maybe he is, you know, trying to win Liz Allen. Maybe he is seeing Liz behind her back. That was the only time it really felt like possibly it was plausible. There was any reason for her to doubt him. Yeah. They just, they're not putting the work in to make that story. I don't know. Plausible. It's just women are nags <laughs> and, yeah. and we don't have to have a lot of explanation to make that true in the, I mean, and also with Ned leads and we're, we're in the, we're in the final year, I think of the Betty Brant relationship anyway. Yeah. She's being written out of Peter's life, unfortunately. And, and Gwen will be showing up soon. And oh, yeah, Gwen Stacy. Yep. Um, but yeah, that's the issue. Uh, all right. Well, uh, yeah, it, it was pretty interesting. Um, it, it's, they're definitely reaching a point where they're they're not you know for a long time they they were like really expanding the world trying big new things they'd never tried before but now that now they're you know we're 21 issues in we're starting to run out of huge fundamental changes to the spider-man world that we can do yeah and kevin like me you you didn't read this issue as like we didn't have this issue as a kid around our house 
Right. We, we talk a lot about in this podcast that we read a lot of these original issues and these digests you had, and those ran up through issue 20. Yeah. And so this is the first of the new issues to us I, of this like Ditko era. Yeah, I think I might. And in that sense, I remember still being excited to read it. It was like new. Yeah. I think I didn't read it maybe until that collection, The Essential Spider-Man came out. Maybe. Yeah, they, they released these Essential Spider-Mans, which are black and white collections. And the first volume, I think, had all the Ditko issues plus a few Romita issues. Yeah, that's right. I think they just hold the insane amount. Maybe it was the second volume was the end of the Ditko. But, yeah, I can't remember. Uh, but w- Within two volumes, we were deep into Romita. And, uh, and it was kind of we, exciting. We basically had everything we hadn't read before. Yeah, this is like... I mean, the internet was around, I think, when the essentials came out, but it wasn't like it was the 90s. So there, there wasn't an easy way to get Marvel Comics online. You couldn't like, you know, subscribe right. to Marvel Unlimited and, and look at the back issues. So having access. And these weren't and these weren't reprintable issues that were just being reprinted left and right. Like the good the good stories, the first few were the ones that you get reprinted every now and then because they were the first appearance of somebody. Yeah, the the, tw- the issues in the 20s of Spider-Man were sort of like. I don't know, a little bit perfunctory. So you only got to read them in these sort of completest collections. But I'm a full season kind of guy. Like when I watch TV shows, I like watch a 22 episode television show. I think that the best stories work better because of the almost filler episodes. The ones that are just sort of like, here's a little adventure that doesn't really mean that much, but it, it sets up a pacing thing so that when the big events happen, they feel big like if everything is a huge deal it all starts feeling meaningless right right i agree so these issues are important and i'm glad to have them in my life <laughs> uh they're 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 newer to me they're a little less they're I, yes i haven't what wa- they're still fresh to me so it's kind of fun to read um we have a uh, recommendations and reader mail left kevin what would you like to do well, we have to do our awards oh, heavens, our awards yes let's do it What's your uh, panel of the issue, Will? It is from that panel of the Human Torch versus Spider-Man. I think it's page 15, panel one. That's mine. Where Spider-Man has got like ping pong paddles? Spidey has like web ping pong paddles and he's batting away flame balls that the torch is like hurling at him. Uh, Yeah, that's my favorite. I was going to pick the third panel on that page, but then I didn't. Because while we were just reading through it, I fell in love with something on page eighteen, okay. the first panel. Okay, uh, this is where like they're fl- they're fighting in the condemned building. Oh, yeah. The beetle is flying away. Spider Man is leaping through a doorway. The human torch is going through a hole in the wall. I sort of love it. There's a lot going on in a tiny panel. It's super clear though. Yeah, there's a lot of depth. And it feels very fast. There's, oh, a lot of depth. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that is a cool panel. I love that. Yeah, I wish it was bigger. It just looks great. Yeah, good choice. Good choice. What's your Stan Lee dialogue of the issue? I'll pick that one I read before when Flash Thompson's toady looks at <laughs> Peter yelling at the human torch and goes, maybe he's not really a panty waste. That's my favorite. That, that's good. I'm going to go with one I read before, which is Abner, the first panel coming out of prison going, they had to give me back my beetle equipment. There's no law against a man owning an armored costume. <laughs> <laughs> Such a funny... Like Stanley's like, I got to justify why this guy still has his beetle costume. <laughs> and that's the justification. It's like, they couldn't stop me. I think we're going to have the same highlights and lowlights. Do you want to go first? Sure. Uh, actually, my highlight is the last page. Okay. you. My highlight is this moment where Spider-Man just sort of, it's just like when, when Dory points at him and goes, I think he's in league with the beetle. And he's just like, oh, screw this. Yeah. I can't win. I didn't do anything wrong today. Yeah. And I sort of love that moment 
because that is his life and it doesn't feel artificial through the confines of what happened in the story, at least from his perspective. Yeah. He can't win. It's true. Yeah. That is kind of a sad moment. I, 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 uh, I glossed over that. Unfortunately, my highlight is torch fight and Spidey. Yeah. That's always yep. good. Uh, yeah. My low light is Dory. I think as a character, she's a bad character. Yeah. She's poorly written. If that, if an, if an actress was playing her, I'd feel bad that that actress had that role. I'd be like, she could do better with a meteor role. Luckily, she's not a real person. She's a drawing. Well, there's something about the way she's uh-huh. drawn. I'm just realizing it now. Like she's drawn like a rich girl. Like she's always shopping with like big, like lots of boxes of things, and she's sort of very well dressed. Um, I think that there there would be a way to add depth to her in, in sort of a classist way that she's like some kind of rich snob or something. I mean, the Human Torch uh, girlfriends is is I think a great place to add some great supporting cast and some interesting levels to that character. This just isn't the way to do it. Uh, my low light is going to be, yeah, it's Betty. I'm always sad to see Betty be kind of frail and weak. Yeah. She collapses so quick in this issue twice. Yeah, so that's my my low light. I mean, unless you're right that it's all been a behind-the-scenes manipulation by Aunt May, in which case I sort of love it. Yeah, the, the, the choice to read this as a hugely complicated manipulation by Aunt May some sort of weird gaslighting scenario that Anne is the mastermind of. We That's see Anne really bedroom and there's like, you know, photos and index cards thumbtacked to the wall with yarn connecting them all as she plans how to drive Betty Brant crazy. Now I'm, now I'm on board. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I'm into that story. That's a great side of Aunt May. Um, okay, those are our awards. Congratulations. Yeah. Uh, Spider-Man. Um, yeah. Do you want to do recommendations? I don't have any again, Kevin. I will defer to you. I like your recommendations. Okay. I, have I recommended Kane yet on this podcast? No, you have not. Uh, I mean, uh, I could recommend all three of Paul Grist's main series, but I'm going to start with Kane. Uh, Kane is just a cop story, um, but that is underselling what it is. Uh, it's Kane, K-A-N-E by Paul Grist, G-R-I-S-T. It's not running anymore. Uh, though it might come back. He always sort of talks about doing more stories in that universe. And it's about a cop who was uh, kind of accused of, uh, I think, of being a bad cop. But he also like ratted out his partner who was a bad cop. It's unclear what happened in the past. But something drove him away for a while. And he's come back to the force. And the police force don't like him. They don't trust him. They don't think he's got their backs. But he's a good cop. Right. Uh, and it's a basically a story of like modern day sto- uh, cop stories with the background of like what really happened in the past. Yeah. What did Kane know? What did Kane do? Is Kane, did Kane sort of betray his trust or was his partner not as bad as we think? Like what's really going on? And it's just a really well told story that plays sort of with time, past and present all the time. And it's, uh, I don't know, it's a comic I discovered when I just had graduated college. And as I said, Marvel Comics was sort of bad. And DC Comics was pretty good. But I was looking for something else. Uh, I hadn't discovered a good indie book in a while because I just hadn't been going to comic shops. And really, I'd never had discovered an indie book. They'd sort of been given to me by you, right? The indie comics I'd read up to that point were like Zot and uh, the Love and Rocket stuff that you liked. And yeah. uh, maybe Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, if you count that as an indie comic. I sort of had read that for a while. Right. But I was like looking for like... And something that wasn't superheroes, but that appealed to me. And this sort of simple, but very expressive art style appealed to me. And I just bought an issue on a lark and ate it up. Yeah. Uh, I remember you giving me the, lending me the canes or something. And I, I, 
the, it's really cool. It's uh, sort of stark and minimalist and, and fun to read. Yeah. I think next episode I might talk about Jack Staff, but I think that deserves its own recommendation because it's so cool. That's a heads up for a future recommendation, everybody. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But Kane is the one I'm recommending now. I, the collections are out there. They might be hard to get because the series isn't going anymore. But if you can get them, man, they're great. Okay, I, I do have a recommendation. Uh-oh. The John Byrne Fantastic Fours. I never heard of either of those. <laughs> so this is a Human Torch issue, and Human Torch is part of the Fantastic Four. And in the early 80s, when Kevin and I were both reading comics together, is when the famous comic book artist and writer John Byrne took over the Fantastic Four and sort of did a legendary run on it. He kind of like reinvigorated yeah. the title. He brought it back to its roots. Was he coming off of X-Men at this point? Yes. Yes. So he was, he'd become huge drawing the most famous, the most popular Marvel comic of the time. X-Men. Yeah. Chris Claremont had written the X-Men and John was drawing it. So now he wanted to write his own and he took over the Fantastic Four. Which had been mediocre for a while. Yeah. It had gone through like a little doldrum phase. I mean, FF is like a flagship title of Marvel, but it had just, it had been floundering a little bit and John brought it to new heights. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he, his run, his run made me love the Fantastic Four, even though I would then go back and read the Kirby Lee stuff and love that, too. But it was reading the John Byrne stuff that made me like the Fantastic Four first. Yeah, it was almost like an anthology series where every issue would be a weird sci fi fantasy stuff. He had a he had a pretty good hold of the characterization. He kind of up he took the good stuff from the Lee Kirby and he also updated the problematic stuff. Namely, he made the invisible woman a better character. Um, he renamed her the invisible woman. She was the invisible girl until he started writing. Yeah. He named her the invisible woman and strengthened her powers a lot and, um, gave her more of a, an identity and, um, and his stuff with the torch was good too. He, he gave the torch depth. The torch wasn't just a sports car loving show off. He had moments of guilt and doubt and, uh, it was cool. Yeah. And he was great with the thing. I mean, I feel like thing was maybe the easiest a person for people to get a handle on yeah. as writers, but he, he didn't slack up. I mean, he wrote all four of them. Great. Yeah. And that's, I think important. Uh, so yeah, John Byrne, fantastic fours. I mean, that, I, I'm not, they're, they're famously good. Uh, it's, it's like recommending breaking bad as a television series, but nonetheless, it yeah, is, but who knows what people have listened yeah. to who are listening to this spot or who have read, yeah. who are listening so to the this early eighties. They're, they're collected many times. You can find them pretty easily and they're, and they're worth looking up. Great. Um, I've got one piece of reader mail. Yeah. This is an older piece of mail that I'm sort of digging out that I kept passing, um, but I've taken the time to think about it, so I'm ready to answer it now. Okay. Uh, we're also recording this podcast like days after our last one, and we went through a lot of mail last episode. Right, right, right. So, uh, so I'm taking out this old one. This is from March 28th. That's how old it is. Good heavens. Uh, uh, Sean Shear wrote us an email. Uh, he's enjoying our podcast. He likes a sense of humor. I hope he's still listening at this point. Um <laughs> Maybe not, you know. Maybe not. Yeah, maybe we lost him. Uh, he's reading the original issues through the Marvel Unlimited app, which a lot of people nice. do. And he asks a question he uh, says is maybe more of a Kevin question, which is why I put it off. It felt like a lot of pressure. Yeah. <laughs> um, he goes, what are some of your definitive Spidey arcs that aren't to be missed? Oh, good question. And uh, that's a tough one to answer. So I started writing down them. And the first batch I wrote down were all death care, death of characters. And it felt very dour. Well, they, those tend to be sort of dramatic moments that lend themselves to great stories. I mean, monthly, yeah. monthly say, stuff don't end. 
and death end somebody. So it's a type of story that stands out. Yeah. And when you say not to be missed, it's like, well, you got to see those. Those have such big impact. Um, but I do think a lot of times it's the issues around those deaths that make them stand out. Yeah. Anyway, I wrote down a bunch. I'm going to go through them real quick. And well, you can chime in on the ones you're familiar with, which okay. is most of them, I think. Okay. Uh, I think after the Ditko run, I do think the next two issues, Amazing 39 and 40, are hugely important Spider-Man issues. Yeah. Uh, that's where the Green Goblin discovers who Peter Parker, uh, who Spider-Man is. Right. And we meet Mary Jane Watson. We meet Mary Jane Watson. But I think more important, honestly, is this Green, it's the Green Goblin becomes his arch nemesis in those two issues. Right. Uh, okay. I like those. I think that's a big one. I think the death of Captain Stacy, uh, Spider-Man's then girlfriend, Gwen Stacy's father uh, is Captain oh, Stacy. I forgot about that. And yeah, his yeah. death, I think is, and here's, I'm going to, here's my hot take. I think this story is better than the death of Gwen Stacy. I can imagine that because the Gwen Stacy one was sort of, it almost felt like a last minute decision or something. Yeah. It just sort of happened. But when Captain Stacy died, the father of his girlfriend died because, uh, when Spider-Man was having a fight with Doc Ock, Doc Ock accidentally like knocked some bricks off a building that landed on Captain Stacy and killed him. Uh, and Spider-Man went to, you know, the father of his love. And then he, and the, and this Captain Stacy said, take care of Gwen. Like he, he sort of revealed he knew Spider-Man was Peter Parker and said to Spider-Man, take care of Gwen for me. Oh, yeah. And it's like, oof, a lot just happened there. And Captain Stacy had sort of become a father figure to Peter. Yeah. I, yeah. He didn't really have a father figure, just lost another one. Um, That's I, issues 88 through like 92. Okay. Uh, Gwen's death, I think, is important, though I don't think it... I don't think it's that great a read personally, but it's important. Yeah. Uh, but it also involves, I think, uh, Norman's death. Okay. I think that was back when like, if this is, if some if villain's going to do something this vicious, we got to get him off the table. Right. Okay. Uh, so that's issues like 121 and 122, I think. Okay. Uh, those are big ones. Then I, I look at things like Craven's Last Hunt is a great, great, great story. Oh, yeah. Mid 80s, JM to Betty's. Yeah, it ran across all the Spider-Man titles for two issues. Uh, and I don't remember the numbers, but it's collected into a trade, I'm sure. So get Craven's Last Hunt. Uh, it's also, it's, yeah, Spider-Man versus Craven. Uh, and it's great. It's the best Craven story for sure. I, I love it. That was a really creepy psychological thriller from what I remember. Yeah. Uh, then I think the Harry Osborn Green Goblin saga is really good. And if, you, and if you're going to read any of them, uh, Spectacular Spider-Man number 200, which is the death of Harry Osborn, is great. Okay. Uh, uh, but it's also built up in some other issues. And there's a trade I was just looking at called like the Son of Goblin that can, can cover some of these stories. But I don't know how good that trade is. Definitely this run like, that James DeMatteis did in Spectacular, which is like 178 to 200, is great just for how he handles Harry. Um, and there's a couple issues in there, but 200 is this one of those issues that I think is an underrated gem of a Spider-Man story. I think it's one of the best Spider-Man stories ever written. Oof. Good heavens. Um, and it's really good. I think the Hobgoblin stuff is really good, though it sort of ends vaguely when Roger Stern stops writing Amazing Spider-Man. Okay. Uh, and there's a trade that I'm, I don't know if it's still in print called The Origin of the Hobgoblin that covers a lot of the good Hobgoblin stuff. Okay, that's cool. I remember the Hobgoblin stories. I love those. Yeah. What's cool about the Hobgoblin was instead of bringing Norman Osborn back to life, uh, Roger Stern 
didn't just even make a new Green Goblin. He sort of evolved the Green Goblin into the Hobgoblin and it just made a new cool character rather than sort of just like bringing back this old tired character. And I thought it was just, it was really well handled. It's, it, it's sort of confusing just cause it runs across a bunch of the Spider-Man was in a bunch of comics at that time. So it's, it was, it's hard to find, but I think this collection sort of does a pretty good job of picking good issues. Yeah. In that regard, also Roger Stern wrote the kid who collects Spider-Man, which you and I say is the best. Oh yeah. That's, I love that story so much. One of my, one of the all, my all time favorite Spider-Man stories. And Roger Stern also did uh, a juggernaut Spider-Man fight. That's really good. Oh yeah. Uh, and that's a really good one to look for. Um, basically the juggernaut is an unstoppable X-Men foe and Spider-Man has to stop him. <laughs> cool. And it's a, uh, and it, it plays across two issues and it's nearly impossible for him to do it. And it, it does it great. And then finally, I would say like the first two venom stories I think are really good. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, which is, I think two ninety nine and 300 and amazing is the first venom story. Uh, I think it's just scary when the venom shows up. Uh, cause it's, venom knows everything about Peter Parker immediately. Yeah. Peter doesn't know anything about right. him. Uh, it, venom doesn't trigger his spider sense. Oh, right. And all Venom wants to do is hurt Spider-Man. He's not like out to steal bags of money. Yeah. He's got a personal vendetta. It's a, it's a direct threat for, for as far as Peter knows, no reason. Uh, And it's really good in the, in the follow-up story, which is like 316, 317, I think is maybe even better, but definitely, definitely I think just as good. And like those first two stories, I think were Venom was never better than those first two uh, meetings. I have to read those again. I read them at some point, but it's been a while. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's a ton of stuff. And then I think like Dan Slott's run is great. It's huge. Uh, and I, and I, it's hard for me right now to think about what to recommend from it. I think there's a spider verse story that's really fun, but I don't know how good it is. Okay. But that's where basically all the Spider-Mans from different dimensions have to team up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's very, very fun. Yeah. Uh, but for me, the dance lot stuff, the best part about the dance lot stuff is between the big stuff. It's all like the little stories he does so well. I've heard nothing but good things about the dance lot. Right? I want to check some out. Yeah. But anyway, there's a lot of stuff out there, Sean, or other people listening to this podcast. All right. Those are good. Those are, uh, that's a good answer, Kevin. Well thought. Yep. Uh, if you want to write us, you can write us too. Our email address is screwitspidey at gmail.com. Yep. We also have an Instagram account, screwitspidey. We'll, we'll be, Kevin actually will be putting up panels from the comics that we talk about. Yeah, and it's, uh, those are all reposted on screwitspidey on Twitter. If you don't have Instagram, that's a good thing to follow. So screwitspidey, that's uh, all you need to remember. Uh, Gmail, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, yeah, check us out. Um, all right, Kevin, I think we're at the end of our episode. Yeah, I think we are, Will. Yeah, I think you did a great job. I think you did pretty good. Yeah. I mean, yeah, don't overpromise. Okay. You didn't do good then. <laughs> I didn't want to say it. I was gonna say it after we stopped recording, but I'll say it now. You you sort of tanked this one. <laughs> I should have done a, I should have done both parts myself. I don't know. I don't like the way you represent my opinions. <laughs> uh, it would have been a much more heated episode, but I think people would have loved it. Yeah, you, you give me some hot takes. <laughs> um, All right. Uh next thank you everyone. Next issue is twenty-two. And it's the, uh, it's a circus one. Yeah. Yeah. It's the return of the circus of crime. (laughs) Yeah. So get ready for a loopy one. Uh, all right, everybody. See you next episode. All right. Bye. Bye. Screw it. Screw it. We're just going to talk about Spider-Man. 
campfire. <laughs>